Sometimes you feel so alone and overwhelmed, you don't know where to turn. These days, it seems like there is no end to our problems. We invite you to connect with Silent Unity, the 24-hour prayer ministry where someone is waiting to pray with you right now. Since 1890, Silent Unity has always been there. No judgment or dogma, just someone affirming the best for you. Call 816-969-2000 today. You can also connect online at unityprayervigil.org. All are welcome. We're glad you found us. Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. Welcome to World Spirituality, exploring the unity within all cultures and faith traditions, with your host, Rev. Paul John Roach. So hello and welcome to World Spirituality on the Unity Online Radio Network. I'm your host, Paul John Roach, coming to you from Fort Worth in Texas. And today is our last live show of 20. 21. We'll be having a couple of encore shows for the rest of the year, and then I'll, I'll be back with you in the new year. But we have two wonderful guests on the show today to complete the year, so I'm excited about that. Judith Valente is a former staff writer for the Washington Post and the Wall Street Journal. She's a correspondent on PBS's Religion and Ethics News Weekly and a contributor to many Catholic magazines and newspapers. She's also an author and poet. Also with me is brother Paul Quinan, who entered the Trappist Abbey of Gethsemane, which of course many of us know as the the, uh, the abbey where Thomas Merton uh, resided. He, he entered that abbey in 1958 and is still there. So he's been there for well over 60 years. He's also an author and poet, and their book together is entitled How to Be, A Monk and a Journalist Reflect on Living and Dying, Purpose and Prayer, Forgiveness and Friendship. So it's a great pleasure to to welcome Judith and Brother Paul to today's show. Glad you're with us. Thank you. So this is about uh, a, a sequence of letters that you wrote to each other, right? Which yeah. is delightfully old school, isn't it? Because I remember as I when I grew up, I'm I'm 69 now, so the the art of letter writing was was still quite uh, popular when I was young, and I used to love it because it was a way of communicating with someone that was different from email or phone call or whatever. That there was a chance to express something a little deeper, and and I think that comes through in the book, right? Well, I hope so. Why is it deeper, do you think? Why, what, what does it give us the opportunity to do? Well, I think um, you have to think ahead of time what you're going to say. And you sit down and let it flow. Um, it's uh, You're not going to be in a hurry like you are on the phone or even on emails. And uh, since uh, it's um, going to be something of a task, even if you're typing, uh, you have to think as you go along instead of just whipping something out. And yes. I think that's, and, and also the fact that you're, 
you're doing this in a solitary uh, moment. Uh, you put put other things aside. It gives you a chance to you know express your mind, and that's what I found so valuable in in these letters is that uh, it gave me an opportunity to express my mind about things that I just don't talk about in, in ordinary conversations. There's also a, this idea of, uh, I wouldn't say, maybe entertaining is the wrong word, but the idea of, you know, th- being thoughtful for another person, you know, thinking, what what are they going to enjoy about something I've got to share? I'm not just sharing the bones mm-hmm. of it. I'm sharing the feeling of it as well, and I'm trying to convey mm-hmm. convey that to, to the other person. Plus, there's the delight, isn't there, of receiving a, a letter, you know, an actual long le- written letter. I, I don't think I've had one of those in years now, and it's it's sad you know, that we don't we just don't do that anymore. Yes, but yes, it that, works works delightfully in this book. As Emily Dickinson said, a letter is a delight of Earth deprived the gods. I like that. So you've come from very different backgrounds, right? Uh, Judith, you're a very, uh, were, was a very busy person. You, you confess that in the, in the book. And uh, yeah, Brother Paul, you, you, you had the more contemplative life, but life was quite busy there too at the monastery too. It continues to oh, be yes. Right? Yes, that's true. Especially right now because we're shipping out all the fruitcake and fudge for our Christmas market. Well, I looked up the fruitcake today, and um, it looks delicious. I think I'm going to have to order me a couple of pounds because, you know, people say, I grew up in Britain, so we love fruitcake over there. There's oh, a joke yeah. here that nobody eats fruitcake, right, that they pass it along one to the other. I don't think yeah. that's true. Otherwise, you wouldn't sell so so much, would you? No, and, well, ours is better than others. There we go, absolutely. Well, the only other one I've had from a monastery is from the uh, – there's a monastery in Big Sur, I think, um, oh. and they make pretty good uh, fruitcake too. But uh, yeah, I'm, I'm keen to I'm keen to try yours. You know, talking about letter writing, um, my uncle died a few years ago, and as I was going through all his papers and everything, I found several letters that I'd written to him uh, on my journey to India in my twenties, and um, I thought that was incredible that he number one that he'd kept them, but also. So I could read them, and there were things in there I'd forgotten. You know, you, you you sort of bring a story with you as you live your life, but but there were things there were things in there that I hadn't even um, remembered, and so oh, yes. that was a, a double blessing, right, to go back through old letters. Yes. Judith, well, right are, you, now. are you with us? Yes, I'm here. How are you? Oh, good, good. I wanted you to, you know. Be part of the conversation here as well. Um, well, I think there was a little a little difficulty connecting because I'm actually in Abruzzo, Italy at the moment. <laughs> ah, well, what a wonderful right, writing some good letters from here. <laughs> of course. Well, good. Well, I'm glad you connected in with us now. Um, you know, the, the, we live in a, a very driven world, right? And um, there's a best-selling book called The Purpose Driven Life, etc., and uh, we all have lists and, and the goals and whatnot. But uh, you talk about the purpose of life is actually life itself, right? And you're to live your life. It's not necessarily coming up with my my grand purpose. And I think sometimes it's uh, 
It's almost like, like a beast apart from ourselves, this purpose that we feel we have to fulfill. In the meantime, oh, yeah. you know, maybe life is happening and we're not even aware of it because we're too uh, tied up with, well, what's my purpose? So I love that idea, you know, that it's, you call it the useless life, um, which, you know, doesn't mean it's useless, but it means that we're, we're not trying to make it be a certain thing, right? Yes, that's true. I mean, uh, it has its end in itself, in a way. I mean, God gave us this life uh, to live uh, as a gift and as a celebration and as, uh, as a joy. So that, part of it. That, uh, yeah, go, go ahead, Jerry. That, that opinion of, of Brother Paul or that, that commentary of Brother Paul has meant a great deal to me because I was a very driven person in right. my life, you know, kind of a hard-charging journalist. And Brother Paul freed me up to see that I, you know, it was just, it, it's just enough to be, you know, to be myself and to love the people that I love. And that was a very um, freeing revelation for me. It's a huge one, I think, isn't it? Especially in our society where we, we are encouraged to be driven, you know, we're, we're, we're rewarded for it, aren't we? And um, everything's set up to, you know, to stroke the people who are, you know, achieving and whatnot. And uh, the whole celebrity culture is, is uh, you know, based around that. And, and I think it's it's sad, really, sometimes, because we, we don't need to be going there. Last week on my show, we talked about the natural life, you know, that that enlightenment or awareness, spiritual awareness, in many ways, is um, just a natural thing. We make it into this... Um, very abstruse thing, but really it's about doing the very ordinary things. I was talking with my wife yesterday and telling her that, uh, Brother Paul, you, you, you sleep on a, on a porch, a sort of an outside deck, um, yes. and have done for years, right? And she oh, loves yeah. the outdoors herself and said, how wonderful, that's, that's a fantastic thing. Um, yeah. But it certainly connects you, doesn't it, with the rhythms and, the, and just the smells and the feel of the air. Uh, that's got to be cool. Absolutely. I recommend it for anybody. It keeps you young. <laughs> and uh, I do it all year round, winter and summer. And, uh, of course, I'm out of the rain. There is a, a roof over me. Right. So it's like... And, he, and he's very healthy, too. I mean, for, for an 80-year-old, he, you know, he walks several miles a day. And I don't think he's ever had a cold. Am I right, Brother Paul? No, I've had colds. <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're creating. Well, you're very best. healthy. Yeah. He, he's not superhuman here. He's a human being. Yeah. <laughs> but you know, not another thing I liked what you wrote in the book was uh, you know don't be too pious, right? Um, and in that, that's a stage on the spiritual path, I think, where people get very pious. They, they've they've had some breakthroughs or whatever, and and uh, they want they can't wait to tell everybody else about it, etc. But, but really, you know, as you grow into this, uh, a certain humility arises, right? It's it's nothing special. It's just being being who you are, and that's Precisely. that's a beautiful place to be, right? Yeah. Well, you know, as Saint Francis said, preach always, but use words only when necessary. <laughs> <laughs> well, so, something yeah, that Brother to Paul it. told me that that has stuck with me is. Um, and he, I think he was quoting Thomas Merton, who also lived at his abbey at one time, that if you think you've arrived, 
in the spiritual life, you're lost. <laughs> yeah. and, and I think that says it all. Yeah. There, there is no uh, arriving, is there? You know, T.S. Eliot said, old men should, or, or women, I would add women, old men and women need, should be explorers, right? We're, we're continuing to explore the, and, and have an adventure on, the, on this journey. The minute we think we've arrived, you know, like you said, that, you know, that's, that's disaster, disaster, really. Well, I think that's what's going to happen in eternity. I mean, it's, it's not a static thing uh, where right. we got it. But actually, we'll be eternally exploring the the unlimited mind of God, which contains that. everything that is ex in existence. You know, even well, there's a couple of times in the book where you mention um, there's you know the the usual triune nature of time. You know, the past, the present, and the future. But there's also that fourth thing, right, where that it enfolds all three elements, um, which we might call eternity or whatever. Um, you know, emptiness, they might call it in Buddhism, um, mm -hmm. you know, timelessness, whatever. It, it, yeah. But it's not necessarily empty, is it? It's um, it's full of, of something that's not things, but, but is, uh, I, it's hard to explain, right? You can only experience it. Talk about that a little bit, because that was an interesting concept in the book. Well, I uh, I go uh, on the uh, definition of St. Augustine of eternity, that is, toto simo, toto all things simo together, all mm -hmm. things at once. So uh, the whole range of creation, you know, the whole universe, in eternity is toto simo. It, it's, it's all there. And... Uh, of course, our minds are limited. We can't take it all in. But there is this kind of um, radical simplicity in the nature of God. And that we do have access to. And I think that I don't, you know, who am I to talk about heaven? I'm, <laughs> what do I know? But I think in, in the uh, contemplative life, you know, in uh, the... Uh, quieter and more profound moments that you that you might might come and go um, there is a sense of completeness and at the same time oh yes this is what I always felt uh, this is something that is a kind of uh, innate native knowledge uh, you, you talked about the natural life I think it's, it's natural to be contemplative. And as children, we might have, most likely we did have some of that, although children's childhood can be ruined, but um, without any any damage being done, we're, we are made to be contemplatives. We are made to be close to that that unexpressible whatever, uh, that really is the most intimate and familiar thing that we have. I love it, yeah. And I agree with you with children. You know, I spent many times in my childhood contemplating, just going into the, into nature or, or gazing at streams or whatever. And I, mm -hmm. I didn't know what I was doing at the time. You know, I wouldn't have called it a spiritual thing. I didn't have the vocabulary, mm -hmm. to, but that's what it was. You know, when I look back at it... Um, 
And, you know, I watch my own grandkids, you know, zoning out, so to speak, or going into <laughs> alpha state, um, you know, contemplating sand or whatever, or, mm. or drawing or whatever, you know, they're in another dimensional reality at that moment, right? And um, yeah. it's it's beautiful to behold. And unfortunately, many of us, you know, have learned not to do that anymore, which is a tragedy, isn't it? I think we, we need to get back oh, yeah. to that naturalness and, and that creativity, actually, because it is the the source of creativity, that, that place, I believe. Oh, definitely. But I think it gets washed out of us, too, by corporate America when you go to work mm. for, uh, when you go into the working world in America. And I, and I can truly say, you know, being here, I'm, I'm here in Italy right now researching a new book and Life is is much slower. Uh, there's much more of an emphasis on family life uh, here than there is in the states. And I remember working, you know, for the Wall Street Journal, and uh, you know, it was it was not it was expected for you to come in on your Sundays. You know, no Sabbath days. Um, and it was the same thing when I worked in the Washington Post. And I remember, a, you know, a colleague of mine. You know, we were called into work on a Sunday to to report on a story. And it was his child's birthday, his child's birthday. And here he is on the phone with me. You know, we were writing a story together. And then he puts down the phone for five minutes to sing happy birthday to his to his son. And then he comes back on the phone um, yeah. and, and goes right back to work. And, and, and this, you know, this is very common in America. You know, it's, it's, not, it's not just journalism. It's, it's many, many places where we work. Right. It's it's very unfortunate. And, um, you know, in times of stress, which we're in right now, because you have a number of uh, things to say about COVID and, you know, the latest pandemic that is now, you know, going to enter its third year. Right. We're still in the middle of it. In, in times of stress like that, the, you know, it becomes even more fraught. Right. And and it's harder for people to to relax and uh, enjoy their lives. So doubly important then to, you know, to have ways we can we could do that um, in in a natural way. I mean, I think that's important too because there's there's many ways to find pleasure, right? But uh, they they're not always the healthiest way. You know, that's another thing that our society encourages, and that we have a an epidemic of uh, you know opioid use, etc. You know, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. So um, this this is very troubling, isn't it? Well, I think that we we in America could have used this pandemic as a time to really look inward and look what happened. You know, we had protests about about staying home, about the the, the stay at home um, requirements. We had protests about wearing masks uh, as if we we as if we didn't care about the people next to us. You know, maybe we don't care about ourselves, but we should at least care about the people next to us. And I've seen this so so plainly, Reverend, again, being here in Italy where masks are mandated indoors and outdoors and people wear their masks. And, you know, they pass around, you go to church here and they pass around hand sanitizer. You know, I right. go to church and I, I had to stop going to, to mass for a while in America because, you know, 25% of the people would, would not wear masks. And, uh, you know, my husband has a, a pre-existing condition, so I, I didn't want to put him at risk. But, um, you know, we, we could have used this pandemic in, in such a more positive way than we did. And I think Brother Paul has, has some thoughts on that as well. 
Oh, well, yes. I mean, <laughs> in a way, uh, it's, it's the time for all of us to become monks, <laughs> at least in, to some extent. And I, I think, you know, the, the, um, the, the stay-at-home um, mandate, in a way, is an opportunity to stay with yourself and to get down to the important things of life. Um, you know, we, we've gotten how to live with ourselves, and you have to live with yourself. Solitude, I think, is essential to healthy uh, living. Uh, you cannot really uh, relate to another person and, until you can relate to yourself. And solitude is a, a way of learning how to do that. Right. And, yeah, I think both. part of part of the problem that Americans had with uh, with the you know with staying home and staying in one place was that they they couldn't stand to be with themselves, and that that's really sad. That's a very sad commentary on our society. And um, you know we need to get at why why people can't be alone with themselves. Why is it so hard? to observe solitude and silence. I think we need to, as a culture, think about that. Well, and I was gonna say the words that we use there, you know, become a monk or solitude or surrender or whatever. These are very, you know, un-American words, you know, because <laughs> we, wanna, we don't like to be alone. We wanna be in groups, you know, we wanna go party and, and don't tell me what to do. You know, this is the land of the free, uh, and I want to be free, you know, et cetera. So we, it, it sort of militates against um, that contemplative way of life, which is unfortunate because I think, you know, many people are craving it and, and wanting if they If they truly understood what it meant, they, they, they would, I think, uh, be uplifted by it because we're, we're on the Unity online radio and most of the folks that are tuning into this are already attuned to what we're talking about, right? They're, they're very open to the silence or solitude and, and know how powerful that is and how refreshing that is. But, um, you know, the idea of being a monk in our society is, uh, you know, that's anathema. We want that doesn't sound like fun. Um, unfortunately, uh, you know, what can I say? Um, I, I'm, I'm associated with the uh, uh, Hindu monks. It's, they're actually ecumenical, but they, um, they have an ashram in West Wales and, um, I've been going there since the 70s and, uh, you know, got, got to know them quite well. And they are the most uh, real and fun people. Um, they're certainly not pious. They're certainly not, um, you know, dried or dried, bone dry or whatever. They're, they're, they're full of life. And uh, I'm sure that's the case in many monasteries, you know, that we tend to have this image of, uh, you know, cold, dry people. And that's not the case at all, right? Well, you know, I wish, I wish think... everyone... Yeah, go ahead, Brother Paul, and then I'll One of the things I describe in the book, uh, in a letter to Judith, is that uh, the time the, a group of Tibetan monks came to the monastery, and uh, uh, we went up to the hermitage, uh, the, the lady who brought them also brought her children. Well, the children and the monks started playing soccer in the front yard. <laughs> <laughs> That's lovely, isn't it? Oh, here we go with the uh, with the break. Hold that thought. I'm with uh, Judith Valente and Paul Quinan, brother Paul, and uh, we'll be back after these messages from Unity. Join us in a couple of minutes.
Let go of everyday worries and find your calm with positive prayer from Silent Unity, the newest in voice-activated technology, available on any Alexa-enabled device like the Amazon Echo. Each prayer and meditation on positive prayer will help strengthen, guide, and comfort you. To enable it, just say, Alexa, open positive prayer. You can ask for a specific prayer on topics like healing, prosperity, and comfort. Give it a try today. Discover the power within. Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. We now return to World Spirituality with Reverend Paul John Roach. Welcome back to today's show. I'm with uh, Judith Valente and Paul, brother Paul Quinon, and we're talking about their book, How to Be a Monk and a Journalist, Reflect on Living and Dying, Purpose and Prayer, Forgiveness and Friendship. Before we return to that, I just want to mention that my book has been delayed a little bit. It was supposed to be out in uh, November, but... Uh, it's now going to be out in January, and, and Unity is looking forward to publishing that. It's called Unity and World Religions. So I'm excited about its final uh, publication date. I'll let you know the exact date when I know it, um, but it's coming. It's, it's at the printers right now. So um, if you want to find out more, you can go to unity.org, or you can go to my website, pauljohnroach.com, and find out more about the book. And I'll be uh, happy to help if you need to. Uh, Help, just email me at pauljohnroats at yahoo.com. So exciting stuff for the new year. A few years ago, it's been a while now, I, I watched a, a movie called Into Great Silence. And it's about the, um, I think it's the Trappist Monastery, right? Up in um, Carthusians. The, yeah, the Carthusians. It's the Carthusian Monastery up in um, uh, the French Alps. And, That's um, right. Yeah, which is has many similarities, I think, with Trappists, right? And uh, but they call it the Great Silence, where they they have that overnight silence. And uh, that was an um, I don't know if you ever saw that movie, but uh, I did. And for any any of our listeners, it's it's wonderful. Um, it, it's because it really conjures up um, the quality of contemplative. Uh, dedication, but also joy, because they are, they go skiing and they sledding on the on the snow, etc. And of course, they they make the liqueur there as well, um, uh, <laughs> chartreuse. And, uh, but it's it's a wonderful. Uh, it's almost like a meditation, isn't it? That movie. Well, it's almost entirely in silence. I mean, there's no words. There's, there's right uh, the sound the sound of the environment. But it's not until the very end that you have any conversation. And that makes it a, somewhat of a difficult movie to watch for some people. On the other hand, it gives you an authentic sense of the monastic environment. I mean, uh, I could uh, uh, almost smell the woolen cows because I knew what, what, what was on the screen and the clump of the foot's uh, the feet going up the wooden stairs, uh, you know, that sounded, that seemed just like Gethsemane as it was before we renovated it and, and put in uh, terrazzo stairs. Right. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, and, and you're right. Uh, I, I've shown the movie to a number of people, and most of them have fallen asleep. <laughs> uh, but you know that, that even you, brother Paul, uh, fall asleep during meditation. That's what you say in the book. Oh yeah. So, um, you know, it's it's a common thing, isn't it? But that's part of the relaxation, isn't it? You, we're we're beginning to relax ourselves, and the first thing the body mind needs is is sleep. Sometimes, right? The, and so it's not such a bad thing to fall asleep during meditation. I always think it's a blessing in a way. Well, uh, I think I think Saint Teresa said something about uh, uh, God holds you in His arms while you're asleep. <laughs> That's right. You know, just because we're not conscious, because you know, often my conscious mind is not really the mind that meditates anyway, right? It's it's a deeper sense of self that is actually moving in meditation and, and sometimes my conscious mind is like monkey mind and it gets in the way of my right. my meditation well i think that meditation is a matter of being in the moment how to right. be well you have to learn how to be in the moment uh, from moment to moment and uh, that means you put aside all the things that lead you to think about what I'm going to do or what I have done or what I ought to do and just stay with the the present. Uh, it, to me, it's just a matter of being in the present and there there is where the presence of God is. And like all things, it's easier said <laughs> than <laughs> yes. done, isn't it? Um, you know, in Zen Buddhist practice, you know, the, the all you have to do is count to ten over and over again, right? Um, as you sit quietly on your mat, but you know, usually you find after n number one, you know, you, your mind has started to wander. You never can get to ten, and so you have to keep coming back to one, and off you go again. Um, you know, the mind is is literally the monkey mind, right? That it's um, even though we try hard not to let it go. In fact, sometimes when we try too hard, it goes even worse. But um, you know, I. Well, Judith writes about the racehorse mind. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So something Brother Paul said to me in one of the letters uh, also really stuck. He said, you know, don't don't expect, don't have an expectation from your meditation. You know, it's yeah. it's enough just to do the practice, and and don't have an expectation that it's going to be one way or the other, or it should be one way or the other. And that again was a very freeing revelation. Uh huh. Again, it comes back to that, you know, I've got to force myself to do it the right way. And I've got to have an expectation about how it's all going to unfold. You know, what is my purpose here for doing this? And it is it is what it is. I've always liked the image of the clouds in the sky. You know, my thoughts are like clouds and my sky, sky is my mind or whatever. And they, the thoughts are always going to arise, but I, I can follow them if I want and get all ensnared in particular cloud formations. Or I can just just notice them and let them move on, you know, across the, the, sky, the sky of my consciousness. And that's always helped mm. me because it sort of defangs, defangs it for me. You know, I don't have to worry about my thoughts. Yeah. They're just like clouds. And they're always going to be there, right? It's, there's uh -huh. no such thing as a cloudless sky um, unless you're in deep stages of, of meditation practice, you know, where you may go into the nothingness. And, and that, that, you know, that's, that's another whole level altogether there. Mm -hmm. Yes. I had a spiritual director once told me, I, I told him, well, I've gotten to the point where 
when I'm finished with my meditation and it, it doesn't feel like it was uh, very good, that that's irrelevant. It doesn't matter. And he said, by virtue of the same fact, when you feel that your meditation has been good, that's irrelevant. Yeah. <laughs> Don't you love all these these paradoxes in the spiritual life? You know, if you, if you think you've arrived, you're lost. If if you think it's relevant, it's irrelevant. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's all about the ego, isn't it? The ego grasps all yes. the things and starts labeling it as good or bad, whatever, mm-hmm. and. and uh, clings to the things that are good or it thinks are good and and tries to resist all the other things and and of course that's just the play of the of our humanness and we're we're endeavoring to move beyond that right but giving it a light touch you know the ego is a a good thing to have you know it guides us around in life but um it's it's a great servant but not a not a very good master i don't think Mm. Mm -hmm. good point so Let's talk about non-attachment, which is, um, and by the way, in the book, folks, there's many correspondences between the Catholic tradition and the Buddhist tradition. And and I know you've been influenced, Judith, by uh, Buddhist monks, and you've had dealings with them also, Brother Paul. Um, And, um, you know, one of the key concepts of of Buddhism, of course, is non-attachment, of releasing our clinging which leads to suffering, you know, to the dissatisfaction of you know, being alive. Um, and if we can be non-attached, again, a lot of people don't understand non-attachment because they think they have to give up all the things that they love, but it's not what it's about, right? No. Well, I think it's, uh, well, there again, it's just um, letting change happen, going with the flow of life, not trying to uh, crystallize it into a, a particular form, and yet you have to be true to the, uh, you know, to what is given you, the forms that you do have. So it, it's in a way, it's loyalty and a non-attachment. <laughs> well, I think I think the, the the connection is with suffering because when when we're attached to a particular outcome. Uh, right. Or when we're when we when we become attached to our control over something that we really have no control over, much of what much of life we have no control over, um, that that's the cause of, that's the cause of the suffering in our lives. And so, um, if we can have a sort of equilibrium about everything that happens, you know, my my I miss I miss my, I miss making my connection at the airport. Okay, you know. We're going to suffer if we get angry. Um, you know, if we get frustrated, we're going to suffer. If we just say, I missed my connection at the airport, it is what it is, uh, there's, an, there's always another plane, then you, you ease that suffering. Um, you, 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 you negate it a bit for yourself, not, not, not just a bit, but a lot for yourself. And I think that's what, you know, that's what Buddhism has kind of taught me. Is to have a certain equilibrium uh, about it and about about what happens. And you know, this is this is not just Buddhist. I I just was reading a book about Mother Teresa, and, and she used to say, you know, don't 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 talk about problems. Talk about gifts. You know, see what's see what's the gift in in everything that happens. And uh, so there's a funny story where. 
uh, one of her coworkers came up to her and said, um, Mother, I know you don't like to talk about problems, um, so I want to give you a great gift. You're going to be stuck in this airport for six more hours. <laughs> so, you know, but, <laughs> but, you know, that's, that was Mother Teresa. That was Mother Teresa's kind of Buddhist take on life. Well, I was I was in meditation the other day. I was down at the on the coast and uh, sitting in a friend's patio and um, looking at the sky. And uh, you know, there's a special kind of sky near the ocean, right? And um, and I was just enjoying it. And I thought nobody can buy that. You know, it's not for sale. It's it's open. It's, mm. it's given freely to everyone. And then I began to think, and that's the same for the trees and for actually everything, even my body. It's freely given. It doesn't belong to me. It doesn't belong to anybody. We try and buy and sell everything, but the reality is none of it is ours. And, you know, that's true non-attachment, I think, is getting over that idea that in some way I can possess anything, right? Uh, they're gifts that are given freely. And that's true of, our, you know, our wives, our husbands, our children, or anything in our lives. And but once we understand that, it's it's a wonderful thing because then I get to have the whole sky, you know, and not selfishly, mm -hmm. but but I can enjoy it fully, um, and anybody else can too, right? And that's the the miracle of God again, you know, the simplicity of God. Very simple, isn't it? There's the sky. You can have it if you want. You could ignore it if you want, um, but it's always there. Mm -hmm. And I love that that like, it was one of those moments of peace, you know, because you thought. Wow, that's that's I like that. That's that rings true for me right now. Well, what I like to do for meditation after mass now is uh, go uh, out east of the monastery, uh, away from the buildings. It takes about four or five, well, maybe five or ten minutes to get out there. And uh, there's trees out there, the field, uh, frost on the field now these these days. And watch the rising light in, in the east. And that, you know, I stand with the trees that are standing. I don't sit down. I just stand. Right. And uh, it's all it's all gift. Yeah. If, if I'm not there to see all that, it's not going to be seen. It's like, in a way, my my role in the in the universe is to raise this kind of uh unconscious well it's everything has consciousness but um i i lift it to an, another level of consciousness just by seeing it absolutely i love that idea you know some people actually say that you know god created the universe so that he could see himself right and that we are the ones that mm -hmm. are seeing god through you know, I think it was Meister Eckhart said, the eye by which, you know, I see God is the same eye by which he sees me. Mm -hmm. um, and mm -hmm. there's that correspondence there, right? That, um, yeah. And in fact, God couldn't experience it except through us in a, in a sense. So that, that, that's why the creation is, is such a wonderful thing, because it uh, gives the divine an opportunity to reflect upon itself in a, in a different way. I yeah. always like that, like that concept. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. and how could you not walk through a beautiful wood or the, the rolling fields out as where Brother Paul lives in the monastery in Kentucky and not, and not feel loved, not feel loved by the universe and loved by nature? 
I'd like to well, say that's, that's why true. I say that, you know, if you're feeling lonely, well, go out to a place where you can feel lonelier. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. <laughs> and, another and another paradox. <laughs> yeah, it, it seems to heal itself. Yes. It's, it's again, it's counterintuitive and yet it, it's true. I think you say also, you know, if you're going to waste time, if you feel like you're wasting time, waste more time, right? <laughs> Wasted intentionally. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you know, yeah. Um, and you know, that's, that's the way to overcome our problems too sometimes is to uh, expand them, you know, instead of running away from them, um, you know, make them the worst problem ever. You know, blow it up like a balloon. Eventually it's going to burst because you can't, you can't make it that ridiculous, you know, without it bursting. But but it's uh, it's counterintuitive way of moving beyond our problems because the minute we deny them or try and avoid them, then they're there, right? There we're stuck with them. So um, yeah. yeah, we just have to. I think the Tao Te Ching says if you want to shrink something, first you must allow it to expand. And there's there's a whole <laughs> lot of wisdom. <laughs> there's a whole <laughs> lot of wisdom in yeah. that one. Yeah. So let's let's get let's go controversial for a minute, shall we? We've got to. A little while to go in the show. Well, we got about six minutes. Um, women, women in the Catholicism, as ministers, right. priests. Uh, you mentioned that in the book. Um, there's a way to go. It's yeah. a place to go. Yeah. Yeah. It really, it really hit me when I was at a monastery in Rome, and you know there were there were something like 35 priests on the altar, mm. and all the women in the church were, of course, in the pews, and, you know, they had no speaking role. <laughs> they had no major role, and I thought, it, it just hit me for the first time, Reverend, you know, there's something wrong with this picture. Uh, I, I don't know why it took that long for it to occur to me, uh, you know, that that women, you know, w- women just, just didn't have the same role as men in, in the Catholic Church. And I wanted to hear what Brother Paul had to say about it, uh, because he lives in a monastery. He lives with men. There's no women living there. Uh, there's no women on the altar when he goes to mass. But it was very interesting what he what he had to say. And I'll let him I'll let him tell tell his part of that story. Oh well, I forget what I said. <laughs> <laughs> well, you talked about how how it was 1975. And and you thought back then that women would would be priests by then. Oh yes, that's right. I thought by two two thousand thirteen there would be women ordained, and right. it has not happened. Um, and uh, in in a way, um, you know, men have made a, a, enough of a mess of the priesthood. Um, oh no, I, I shouldn't. I mean, there, there's just a tremendous number of really great priests, but. Um, you know the the women have their own contribution to make and i and if, if we start thinking what well, has to be made through this formalized uh, clergy uh that's already a mistake i think it's just, it's a misservice to women uh, to be thinking in those terms i was going to mention something about women in the cistercian order because um you know we have women's communities and uh one of the re- reforms uh, in our constitution, was to uh, have a a single general chapter. It used to be that the women would follow the legislation that the monks devised, 
and they have that has been changed now. The yeah. women tar- participate in the legislative uh, general chapter, and uh, you know so that's great progress. The other thing that's happening now is that the women really aren't always get able to get a chaplain. And so they don't have, you know, mass in the usual way. They might have a communion service. But um, isn't that interesting that um, because women cannot be ordained, they can't have the mass in its, you know, (laughs) in its normal form. That says an awful lot right there. Um, Yeah, yeah, it says an awful lot about what what we need to look at and what we might need to change in, in Catholicism right? and, and, and learn from, from our brothers and sisters in the, in the other faiths, you know, how they have been able to, they have been able to, to, to fare very, very well with, you know, with, 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 a, with an ordained clergy of both genders. Well, and the whole idea of celibacy too is, is a sticking point, isn't it? You know, other, uh, traditions, the Episcopal Church, rather, for example, you know, has married priests, um, and you know that that's again, you know, if you're talking about uh, keeping something going, I think, you know, the, to require the, the, the celibacy, I think, is 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 a tough one these days. Um, not well, for all. Well, but Brother Paul can I mean, speak to that because um, monastic. Yeah, Brother Paul can speak to that because monastic life is a little different, and and he he. He should speak to it. I'll just I'll just set up a premise here. But monastic life it means mono, you know, uh, comes from the word mono, and it's to 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 seek God with a single with single heart, single mindedly to seek God. And so you know you probably don't want the distraction of a of a of a married life and children. Not that they're distractions, but they're they're responsibilities uh, certainly. Um, but I'll let Brother Paul speak to that because I think there's going to be there is a place for that celibacy, um, and I think it's the monastic life. But if you're a, if you're a priest, um, you know, out of the diocese or in a parish, I don't I don't see the real necessity for celibacy. So, but I'm not a clergy person. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, celibacy is is for monks. Uh, I mean, you, you might talk about married priests, but uh, what you have is a kind of a monastic type of community where there are married people, and we've had experiments with that in our neighborhood, and it doesn't seem to last. Um, mm. But the thing is that you know the life of celibacy is really uh, innate to monastic life, but it's not ne- necessary innate to the apostolic life and the priests are involved in you know apostolic life in a very active sense now um as you know as judith said family is a great responsibility and it is very time consuming um i know many episcopalian priests and they seem to be doing well with families and with a church to, to manage um so you know, I think eventually there's there's this differentiation in the church, uh, which has to be respected, and I don't think that uh, everybody in the clergy should have to live like monks do. We've got monks. If they want to live like a monk, let them enter, enter a monastery. Right. Interesting. <laughs> yeah. 
Well, I'm certainly not yet a judge whether somebody must be one way or the other. I think there's room for for all kinds and all um, you know ideas here in this vast uh, universal, uh, which is the Catholic Church, right? The universal church. Um, you know, Catholicism both fr frustrates me and delights me at the same time. You know, some of my favorite mystics, probably Meister Eckhart being the greatest, you know, is, is um, in a total inspiration. But there's other things about the, uh, the the church that are, you know, is frustrating. And but that's true of all traditions. I think I don't think there's a certainly unity is frustrating in many ways. Even though we have a wonderful tradition, also, you know. And if you're honest, you're going to say, yeah, there's going to be uh, human beings in it, so it's going to going to be uh, frail. Um, let me tell you about next week's show, and then we'll have a minute left. I'm going to ask our guests to give us something uplifting that we can take into this Christmas season. Okay, so something that uh, you think might be helpful for us. So, uh, like I said, this is the last show in 2021. We'll have encore shows. Um, when I return on January 4th, um, I'm going to welcome internationally known philosopher, theorist, and mystic Dr. Erwin Laszlo. He'll be my guest. So join me then and have a peaceful and joyous Christmas season. But now we have uh, Judith and Brother Paul to uh, extend their wishes to us. What, what, what words of advice would you share? Well, well, my wish is that, that we all practice random acts of kindness uh, in this, this season and, and all through the coming new year because our world needs so much more kindness. Yes, amen to that. And I want to uh, quote Meister Eckhart. He said that the generation of the word from the Father and the birth of Jesus in Bethlehem and the birth of Jesus in the soul are all one birth. Wrap your brain around that one. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And uh, talk about unitive thinking, right? The, yeah. And the interesting about Eckhart is he was so Buddhist in his teaching too. You know, oh, he was yeah. Catholic, but also had uh, many elements of Buddhism, and that, that's definitely one there. That, that's a beautiful quote. Thank you. Mm -hmm. um, so, okay, we're at the end of the show. Um, thank you so much, Brother Paul and, and Judith, for being with us today. That was a wonderful show. I wish we could talk for a few more hours. It was great. <laughs> to, I have to come, come back on the show. Let's do something else. You're most welcome. Thank you. Okay. Have a Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas yep. to everyone. Happy holidays. Happy holidays. Okay. Yeah. All right. Take care now. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Sometimes you feel so alone and overwhelmed, you don't know where to turn. These days, it seems like there is no end to our problems. We invite you to connect with Silent Unity, the 24-hour prayer ministry where someone is waiting to pray with you right now. 
Since 1890, Silent Unity has always been there. No judgment or dogma, just someone affirming the best for you. Call 816-969-2000 today. You can also connect online at unityprayervigil.org. 816-969-2000. 